0: This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions.
1: Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth, an exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Thanks for being a, with us today, Robert. I appreciate it. Uh, nice to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. I, John and I talk a lot about sort of uh, the choices we make on a daily basis. And, and I, we've come to, I sort of describe that as the way I curate a day. Um, and so I'm always intrigued with how other people approach a day. And I have to say, when I looked at the way you approach it was quite different than anyone else. <laughs> talk, talk to me about how you, how you approach a day.
0: So I have a, a really strong belief that like everyone should just be following their own internal compass. And the more we listen to our instinctual, you know, side, the more we just kind of do what we're supposed to do and don't need to question it or be so cerebral about it. Um, at the current moment in life, uh, I find myself desperately wanting to be a full-time painter cause it's, it's passion. It's easy. It's, it's what calls me each day. I love being a gallery owner, but I want to be a full-time gallery owner that gives my all. And, uh, and then these two children showed up in my life. And the moment they showed up, uh, everything within, inside my biology just shifted. And I knew that I wanted to be a full-time parent, you know, 24 hours a day. So at the current moment, uh, time is a bit stretched. Uh, I'll wake up at 5.30 or 6.00 where my wife will wake up and we'll, we'll play for an hour or two till my three-year-old daughter goes off to uh, school and then come back, maybe get like a 45-minute, half-hour nap. And then we just play with each one of them, try to imagine, try to uh, show them that their imagination is probably the foundation for the, the rest of their life. I have a strong belief in that. And um, so we just go hmm. at it all day long with a focus on them, try to give them a lot of independence as well, but kind of be in the vicinity so that they know that we're just there. And we do that until they fall asleep at, at 8 o'clock at night, both of us. And when we we're fortunate enough to have been able to afford ourselves that, that availability. Hmm. And then we go into the studio and we work till you know, one, two o'clock in the morning and then start the process over. And when the gallery calls us during the days that we're not actually heading to the gallery, which is now only two or three days a week, uh, one of us will jump into the studio, get some things done, and then the other one will shift off. But the idea is to kind of give them in these beginning years this foundation that we are there available and, you know, a, a part of their foundation 100% 100% of the time.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, that's in my experience. I know, Alex, you can attest to this as well. There's no substitute for time spent. Oh, yeah. Especially in the beginning, you know, from all the sort of child development uh, books that I've looked into, you know, the first five, six, seven years of life, you know, uh, is the, the foundation for the rest of your children's life.
0: Well, and it, in know. the blink of an eye. You know, like yeah, it, and everybody all says the that. cliches <laughs> yeah. that are given to you are so true. I know. You know I mean? And I know. it's like, they're like, your heart will grow 10 times the size. I'm like, it did. And then like, you'll have a second and you don't think it could possibly get any bigger. And it does. It right. doubles. And you're like, all that stuff that everybody told you is so true, including like sleep now, because that's done. Like you're <laughs> you're not getting that back again. Um, but again, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world just because, especially as a creative, there's no better source of, of kind of pure mm. creativity than those, the lens that those children hold.
1: You, you have a healthy yoga and meditation practice. <clears throat> and I thought it interesting that you do it sort of at the tail end of the day. I mean, you, I think 12.30 to like yeah. 1.30 too.
0: Yeah, so the idea is if I can end every day. I always feel like I can sleep two hours less if I get one hour of meditation in and, um, and it seems to be true. You know, if I miss that meditation, I'm a mess the next morning. If I get that meditation, you know, I'm, I'm able to function. Uh, I also think that, that, you know, my, my deepest spiritual side exists in those hours. You know, it's, it's easy to be quiet and with oneself and kind of aware of, of the moment that you're participating in during those hours. So it seems to come rather easy I also think yoga is kind of <clears throat> becomes slightly spiritual at that hour as well. You know, it's it's quiet. The whole family is asleep. Sometimes Megan's up with me. We do it together, which has been great. Um, but I feel like you know, I like to practice things like yin yoga, where you can get really deep into a stretch, and you know, all of a sudden it's it's almost meditative in itself. And seven minutes have gone by, and you're you're so far into something that you were worried you may not actually be able to
2: recover. <laughs> Do you do so? I mean, it's interesting as you say that. my. You talked about your day and the way you curate it and that everybody ideally would would curate their day in the way that suits them best. And I found that that's where I am in particular with my yoga practice, which is I don't plan anything. And I do it at home yeah. most of the time. And it just kind of unfolds one thing at a time. And sometimes I find myself in this position and I'll, I'll be like, how did I get here? Yeah. I don't remember how I got here, but this is the right place to be right now.
0: Well, to, anytime you're listening to your body, I feel like it does kind of tell you where you want yeah. to go. And uh, you know, I tend to stand as a painter and oh, yeah. you realize the occupation is not the best on the body. You know what I mean? Especially like I used to be, so with, before children, I would, I would spend 60 hours a week Standing in a single location, painting, and you realize you know a decade goes by, and
2: it's not just standing <laughs> the i mean it's it's standing in particularly when you're a hyper realist painter, standing in at very very almost rigid like yeah. because you have to be so in control of what you're doing with a very fine tipped brush right yeah exactly
1: yeah another another th- question that we always ask is um you know, what book currently sits on your nightstand? And I thought your response to that was also very intriguing. Um, cause you said none.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's dreamy mm-hmm. to think of like a, a hot cup of coffee in a book, you know, cause again, at this time it's kind of like you just wake up and I'm amazed how children, it can be like five thirty in the morning and they like their eyes wake up and they're like, let's dance. And you're like, really? You know, like that's how you want to start the day is just, you know, with this jet propulsion into this enthusiastic way of being. But that's, that's just the way it is. So the idea of reading a book is, it's wonderful to dream about and think about coming back. And at one point, it was one of my favorite activities because I felt like I was, you know, feeding my soul while doing so. And at the, the current moment, I just, I realized in, until these children are, are kind of on their own, just a little bit more, I'm willing to sacrifice the, the time. But it does amaze me because I, I did the count and, you know, it was plus 500 something days. I thought I've that was beautiful too. A, had you had a book did, in my hand. You, you didn't <laughs> like a, say,
1: <clears throat> you didn't say, since they arrived three years ago. Yeah. You said since bear arrived yeah. 567 days <laughs> yeah. ago.
0: Well, every photo I take of them is, so I call them, there's a little a term, uh, I, as an artist, I, I built a little logo for my children. So bear is a bear and Tay is a hummingbird. So I built this little animal called a humming bear. And so every photo I've taken of them since their birth, which is an obscene amount of photographs, is titled humming bear Day whatever. So oh, all I had to okay. do I was the most look at the most to. recent photo when it was, you know, humming bear day 567 or I think it's okay. 575 now. That's beautiful. You
1: know. Right on. Walk walk us back through, uh, you know, you're 17 years old. Yeah. Uh, probably like a lot of 17 year olds sort of unaware of the, the important things in life, sort of very self-centered as you described. Um, and you had an event, with your family that's yeah. sort of rocked your core
0: so <clears throat> i grew up in this this beautiful circumstance in the sense that my parents really did very much what i'm trying to do where they they bought this little this beach club and it was like this campy beach club that had you know the buoy line was made of milk jugs and we did swim lessons and there were picnic tables and a little creek to go fishing in and it was this mother's beach. You know, so we had about 200 members and every single one of them drove a minivan of some color and shape. And my grandfather worked the gate and my grandma worked the snack bar and all the kids were lifeguards. And it was this, this place. And, and at the end of days, when they ended up selling it, you know, that they kind of revealed to us that over 20 years, they made like, you know, $4,000 a year working from Memorial Day to Labor Day, seven days a week. And their idea was to just give their children this space to have their childhood. So having parents like that, they were loving, they were wonderful. I had three siblings, a big Roman Catholic family. I'm the oldest of like 32 cousins on, on um, both sides. And so a lot of love in the house. And in that, in that that kind of, that privileged upbringing of of having people who give you everything you could possibly need, including that love support, and foundation, I became a pretty spoiled little kid when it came to you know how I saw the world i, I had uh, I felt like a lot of my life the deck has been all aces in the sense that i've been fortunate and lucky and blessed and so I was this kid that was this little Mathematics kind of prodigy. I was a little artist. I got involved in student councils and this and that, whatever. But I just thought the world of myself. You know, I was I was the bee's knees, as as far as um as I can, as, as I would consider. And I was a really nice person. You know, I was nice to people. I just didn't care about everybody else you know when I when I reflect back on memories of my siblings I don't really remember much about them during those years because I realized it just wasn't about them at all and I don't think about my parents sacrifice or, or gifts I only think that they were there to kind of serve me so at 17 I was the epitome of this you know what I mean I was just uh, very proud of who I'd become but it was all about me and again, I'd be nice to people, but it really was—it was seeking out my own level of popularity and my own level of intrigue and interest from other people, and therefore I would—I would sacrifice anything to get those those goals. Mm. And all of a sudden, about you know three years earlier, my youngest brother, uh, Jimmy, who has cerebral palsy as well, uh, mild, started having seizures, and they were you know they were few and far between, and tried to get a handle on it, tried a couple medications and then they started becoming a little more prevalent. You know, then he started having, you know, 10 seizures a day. And you're like, okay, this is getting legit. And the family had to kind of be educated that if he has a seizure near a staircase or he stops breathing, this is, this, this is going to, starting to get realer and realer. And then he started having 30 and then 40. And then he had up to 150 seizures a day.
2: How much uh, older are you?
0: I am six years older. So he's about 11 when I'm 17 or so. And, Basically, they started, my parents just, it was a quest to find out what was happening. And they diagnosed it as focal epilepsy, which is his epilepsy. It's no one else has this exact same situation. It's focalized in a certain part of the brain and it's how he experiences it. So, you know, in this time there's a certain amount of transition. You're starting to wake up, but you're also a little I was a little resentful of the fact that all of the family's attention started going towards one family member, when clearly it's all about Rob. Yeah, and it's supposed to be. <laughs> I'm the I'm the oldest, I'm the, you know, the the superstar child with the straight A's, and all of a sudden we're focusing on this this little brother. And at the same time, it was heartbreaking because it was it was almost embarrassing when he would have a seizure around my peers because I was 17 and I cared more about what they thought than what was happening to him. And here it is, this 10-year-old, pure-spirited, 11-year-old, you know, perfect little being that just wants to live his life like everyone else and he's eating his meals on the floor because if he's eating at the table, there's a good chance he's going to have a seizure at this point and fall, over. And fall out of the table. Mm. So he would, you know, the whole family would be around the table and he's sitting next to us on the floor having his meal. And so they tried MRIs and CAT scans, spinal taps. It was like 100-plus medications over four years. They, I mean, every, and, and at one point, he was on clonopin um, and things like that, these it, mm. heavy muscle relaxants just to get him to not have the seizures. And none of this was giving him any sense of quality of life. And uh, as a last resort, my family decided to go to uh, John Hopkins in Baltimore because they had heard that, you know, there's this one doctor um, – uh, who kind of specializes it, but there's a thing called a hemispherectomy. And at the age of 11 years old, you can only do it really before the age of 12. You could have one half of your brain removed. An entire hemisphere is taken out. And because you're young enough, all of your brain waves that were on that side remap to the other side. Now there's trauma and it is not a great prognosis. It does not work out for most. And the highest percentage chance is that you're going to come out and have no personality. You will be flat or distant or you know and Hmm. it's a little crazy because when you look at this that it's just not a surgery you want to undertake it's like 18 hours there's multiple doctors in the room they give you all these you know know, there's a high percentage chance that death will occur on the table because they're taking out a a hemisphere and the body is not necessarily cool with that
2: and there's no real guarantee no of, and, and when you, you look anything, at anything i mean I, I all the survivors
0: to, it's not it's not great you know i was what I mean? talking A lot to of my parents about the, this last yeah.
2: night and just just how traumatizing that would be just to make the decision and say.
0: so and so my parents gave the decision to jimmy they at did 11 wow. and so we're down that's in, heavy in, too we're down at um for like the, the final meeting and we're down in uh, john hopkins and here's ben carson which is hard to even imagine. But the presidential candidate, Ben Carson, was the surgeon, who at the time I thought was the most profound, intriguing, beautiful-spirited man because he was so soft-spoken and this and that. And now, after being a presidential candidate, I kind of see him in a whole different light, and I'm glad that he—I think he was a good neurosurgeon. Um, Maybe leave—
2: leave politics <laughs> politics <alone. laughs> somebody else.
0: <laughs> um, but you know we're sitting at this giant table and there's these couple doctors we've been working with, there's Ben Carson, there's the team, there's this and that whatever and my brother decides I'm not going to go through with mm. it. I don't want to do it. And uh 10, 11. Yeah. Ugh. And um and we're all like, "Oh my god, this is our last chance." You know, but at the same time it's his decision, so we want to support him whatever. And and he came around. He decided, you know, no, like he was fearful, but he's like, "No, I will take this on." So October 6th, 1998 comes and like any uh, person who's about to go through this type of experience, we are pleading with the universe for for a positive outcome. Um, he is being hilarious. We all get about half an hour with him the morning of uh, each family member, and he's saying, you know, like uh, that nurse will hopefully give me a sponge bath afterwards because she's been <laughs> real nice. But I asked her, and you know, specifically, he's like, you know, we could save the like two million dollars or whatever it is for the surgery if we just got some, you know, scissors and some Play Doh. I'll take care of the situation myself. <laughs> oh, geez. He's like, oh, we'll play basketball later. Meanwhile, you know, the doctor's assured us And when he comes out, he's basically going to be comatose. You know, what I mean, there's going to be he's going to be put into an ICU and won't even know what the result is um, for a little while to see how his brain kind of recovers from the, the trauma. And so I love sharing the story. There's a very good chance I'll get slightly emotional just because even thinking about it. Um, but the morning of everybody has their half an hour and, and he's he's the bright spirited one. We're all a, a, mm-hmm. a deep mess. And um, my mother, like any mother, is is... Completely besides herself. You know, she's she's pleading with him to let him her know that he's okay when he comes out of the surgery, and that's not necessarily going to be a possibility. And Ben Carson's basically told us, you know, after the surgery, we're gonna wheel him by, you're gonna see him from the surgery room to the ICU, and that's it. And you he won't be conscious, you're not gonna have you know an experience with him. Uh, so she says you know when you get out tell me you're okay and we're telling mom that's not going to happen so all of us spend these these next 18 hours my grandparents there my godmother's flown into town and uh, i'm in a chapel on my knees like everyone else just just hoping that this goes okay and so they finally decide that surgery's done. There's a couple little complications here and there, but you know, all in all it went well and they go to roll him by us. And I'm expecting to see my little brother with some bandages. And what I see is somebody who is yellow and purple skinned. His head looks like it's ballooned twice the size it was. And there are 58 staples, giant black staples covered in blood, um, kind of protruding through this, this wrap that's over his head as they roll by this, this somewhat lifeless body. And um Immediately, you know, I look at my family members and every single one of them are tearing, crying. I look at my father who's this stoic foundation for me when it's like he's the strong one no matter what and the tears are streaming down his face which is not a great sign for you know like a child because you're like oh no dad's crying like this is is not good so none of us are holding together my mom is literally like pleating like screaming out for him a certain amount like Jimmy 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 whatever like that and as they're wheeling him through um, into the ICU he has cerebral palsy so he does not have great use of his right side he is kind of um, his hand is kind of closed fisted his uh, leg turns in a little bit and as they're wheeling him through his right hand comes up and gives a thumbs up wow and even ben carson is there and the nurses in there and everyone gets just emotional because it's basically a physical impossibility because his brain is going through too much trauma at the moment to kind of experience that Hmm. so needless to say you know it's it's three months or four months that he's in John Hopkins before he can even come home. They're expecting, you know, maybe he'll be able to walk again at some point and this and that, whatever. By the end of the year, he is graduating junior high and he has made it back. My uh, <laughs> my uh, father is is with him literally 24-7 in Baltimore. And if he wakes up for five minutes, he works with him for five minutes uh, round the clock. So he would basically come to consciousness stay there for a few minutes and then he would just pass right back out. But every single time he woke up, my father was standing right there. And what was neat is about three months, I went home and took care of the kids. My parents stayed there. So I was 17. I had my, three, my uh, two other siblings and I took care of them for a few months while I was a senior in high school. And... um I went down to visit finally after about two months to check on him and, and I see this brother who has a very crooked half smile because only about one side is working at the time. He's got this huge pillowy skull where you can push into his skull like two inches because uh, there's wow. all this fluid that's filled in there and it's it's just crazy. And uh, the doctor comes in and says, you know, we're going to do some cognitive testing, Jimmy. We're going to ask you some really basic questions today. Remember, if you don't know, it's not a big deal, but we're going to ask you some some questions. And my brother's always been kind of a funny kid. So I'm standing there and the doctor says, you know, Jimmy, what's two plus two? And he goes, anyone with half a brain knows that. Oh, <laughs> and immediately I was like, oh, he'll be fine. Like, I don't even need he's, to worry he's anymore. There. Like, he's, he's in there. And like, if that response comes and we're early on, then, then everything's going to be good. And it is amazing. He had, you know, My pretty goodness. much a 100% full recovery. He, he lost his peripheral vision, which was guaranteed. And other than that, I mean he had like little hiccups they said, you know, like he didn't know what a chocolate chip cookie was. And you're like, all right, that's a great thing to be reintroduced to. It's you know, what I mean? absolutely phenomenal. But it's amazing that, you know, if you look at an MRI of his of his head, there's just just, just half a brain in there. Wow. And the other side fills with what's you know, similar to like an ambiotic fluid.
2: So I mean, it's first of all, it's incredible. Okay. I didn't even know that could be done. Yeah. And I've would have assumed, and I would think everybody in the room here would assume that when you do something like that, uh, uh you certainly don't make a full recovery. Yeah. And but, he's
0: a college, I mean, he has his master's degree and has a college, he has the highest degree in our family Is that right? and is a college professor uh, of English, you know what I mean? At, at 30 years old.
2: Um, so when you're there at the, at John Hopkins on your knees in the chapel, it, you know, the, that sort of situation will, will there's, some, there's a desire there for an outcome that you're yeah. really willing into existence and you're plea bargaining. I'll do this, I'll do that, you know, make yeah. this happen and And you said that uh, that was one of the things that emerged on the other side of this was a new way of seeing Well I couldn't look the world at around you anymore without that
0: filter. you know what I mean uh, my community, uh, my girlfriend at the time had organized so every single day. Uh, that my parents were in John Hopkins for three months, I had a $50 gift card to a restaurant in town to take care of my brother and sister. And like he received 2,000 cards from our local community and things like that. So it's like Mm. once you see that outpouring of humanity and you see this real situation, then you go back and you're like hanging with the popular clique at a party and you're like, what is going on? on why are these people so mean to each other and what is this drama and this cattiness and this this ridiculous self-centeredness and then you start looking at you know not the words that are coming out of their mouth but their motivations and i'm like these are all the insecure kids that are trying to hold down all these beautiful blossoming souls that are all around us that are these you know these intelligent creative-minded kids that are you know uh, all you know this this whole other kind of brethren of real kids that are kind of being held back by this these social politics at school. So I was immediately just done with that. And that all happened just, it just right away. In a minute. It was just because like a veil you went back. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And everything yeah. just became just, you could see what was false and what was true. It's one of the so things we talk easily. about
2: so often is, is that, you know, I, I never will or would wish somebody to go through a traumatic experience. Yeah. But I notice so often that it's those are the experiences that tend to force a blossoming, a growth, a paradigm shift, an evolution, you know, something that in hindsight, people look back and go, man, I'm so thankful Yeah, for that moment.
0: Well, it's like a real life moment where you're yeah. like, oh my gosh, I kind of go through my mother culture days with my starter jacket and cross-collar jeans at a point in my life, you know what I mean? Where you're like literally like buying into some sort of what, like what is cool and this and that, whatever. And then you realize you're like, that's just
1: ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like life is people. How do you, how do you, as a father, I'm a father, you're a father, very thoughtful, obviously dad. Um, how do you implant or, or, or create that awareness without the event? I mean, how do you you seek to share that and and sort of teach those who you love? You know, when you come across like people that they're just
0: kind of vibrating at a higher frequency, they tend to not be boastful or loud or dramatic or they need the attention. They're just people that just somehow resonate in some way where you're like, wow, that is just a powerful human being. I feel like those people open that up in other people just by being real with them. So I feel like, you know, looking my children deeply in the eyes and making eye contact, talking. We already talked about, you know, kind of presence and meditation and to watch a one-year-old go, oh. (laughs) And and just there's something about this little experience, even though he's not necessarily, you know, going to the same place, he's recognizing that that's something that that is. um,
2: It's a place he can go.
0: Yeah, and and also just, you know, I feel like it's our personal responsibility to be their definition of these things so i'm like if you know if i'm open and loving and caring to every single person that we come across with them in our vicinity then hopefully they'll learn that that's that's what it's about and hopefully they'll be able to see through some of that falsehood i don't know though because i think you know more often than not if you give a kid all the love and care that they need that they're still going to have to go through the same yeah hurdles and battles
2: it's, yeah yeah there's only so much i mean oftentimes i mean it's easier ideally to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes yeah. you got to run into the brick wall yeah. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> sometimes you got to do it two or three times. And I can't
0: imagine what that's going to feel like to actually witness. I know. I from know. a parent's side where you're like, you just want to somehow control you,
1: well, know, you know, and, give and give them, them yeah. that,
0: the easiest route
1: possible. We but, have this conversation. I have four sisters and two of which uh, live here in town. And so when we get together, we both, all of us have two children. Uh, we talk about, swapping the kids yeah. for like a couple of weeks. That's just, brilliant. Just to give them a different view, you yeah. know? And so I'm going to send my kids to your house. Just want to yeah. let you know. <laughs> 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 what a Perfect. beautiful place to grow, to grow up.
0: Our house, it's it's kind of neat. I, my, because my parents' house was the place where everyone came. So, you know, I have three siblings, but they always invited all kids to be there. So because we had this beach club and- this house that my parents had created at any given day, there'd be like 26 kids there because all four siblings you know had their friends there, and why would you go anywhere else and so now I have this deep desire to have that yeah. house, so like in the past couple, of, I built my daughter a, a a small house in the backyard. Um, it's like you know 10 by 12 feet it's got a second floor to it a doorbell its own front this and that and then we built a zip line and then we built an outdoor this and we built it. and, and all of a sudden i realized i'm like i want to create this house that these kids want to stay at and <laughs> right. bring all their friends to so that yeah. we're the like fun place to be
2: absolutely yeah. why not yeah. it's a yeah. beautiful thing that yeah, is that's pretty much the house you've designed yes Alex. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah 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 i somebody called the other day i had uh my wife was in New York and I had uh, my daughter who had a couple friends over and they were watching a movie, a Christmas movie, and I was building a fire and I was over the sink looking out the window at my son who had three friends over with a fire playing basketball. And one of the moms called and was like, oh my God, you're you're home and you, your wife's not there and you have seven kids at your house. I'll come grab them. I was like... This is my happy spot. Yeah, this man. is where I want yeah. to be. Yeah. This is exactly yeah. where I want to be. I don't to need here.
2: to be rescued right. here. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, this is a good thing.
1: <laughs> no,
0: it's so easy. It's such an infectious spirit to watch too when they're in their element doing their thing, just being joyful and happy and whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm uh, almost doing something wrong sometimes just feeding off that. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I want, to, I want to feel that level of spirit. You know, when I see them go on a zip line, I'm like, I just want to know what that must feel like at... At three years old, to be going eighty feet on a zip line, I'm like it. Just they look so alive, and
1: I'm like, oh, what do I have to do in my own life <laughs> to feel that? Well, it's a good uh, it's a good time to uh, tune into one of your songs you chose, uh, a tune uh, by Brendan James. Yeah, simplify. And
0: real quick before we do that, too, I, you know, Brendan is my closest friend. We were friends when we were seven years old in New Hampshire. Uh, He followed the path of music. I followed the path of of art. And we've been able to stay close um, through all these years. And then eventually he came down to visit. And we had our gallery director, Curry, um, at the time. And we said, you're about to to meet somebody. Do not fall in love with her and take her away from my gallery. (laughs) She is too important. And so they fell in love immediately, like on the spot. And he took her away to Brooklyn and then to uh, L.A. and then to San Francisco. And now they're back. And our daughters are three months apart. Our boys are, are two months apart. And we live closer now than we did when we were growing up in New Hampshire. So um, following his, his pursuit and his, his, again, he's one of these guys that puts the philosophical doctrine above anything else when it comes to creating music. It's been really neat because I think he's a, he's a pretty special person when it comes to you know, Absolutely. quality of musician.
2: Yeah, beautiful singer-songwriter, yeah. piano player. And um, let's hear yeah. some of his music right now. Simplify, Brendan James.
1: Enjoy.
3: There's too many visionaries, too many blind illuminaries, too many castaways out begging to be saved. There's too many money chasers ganging up on Mother Nature, creature comforting our paradise away. But who am I to say I've just been born today In a cabin to myself Out in the redwoods My word straight to God Or what I think is God i know another way out If we all could Stop for a minute Wipe the progress from our eyes And stare at the setting Sun that holds us here alive And dream like we've never dreamed less not more this time you are my aunt Television stations, too many restaurants not serving what we need. How oh, but who am I to say? I've just been born today in a cabin to myself out in the red woods. I would straight to God or what I think is God. I know another way out if we all could stop for a minute. Wipe the progress from our eyes and stare. my ally If you can, so can I Simplify